Thank you to our leadership, Brett and Lisa, Pastor, Robert and Raleen, Dave and LaDonna, I don't, there's Dave, all the elders and everyone for asking me to share my testimony today. Thank you for allowing me this time and space to declare the goodness and the mercy of God. Thank you to my precious family and friends who have traveled far to be here with us today. Mainly me. <laughs> but y'all get the benefit. <laughs> I, I tell you in advance, I apologize if I cry. I'll try not to cry. That's probably not going to work. I was hoping to get it all out in worship. <laughs> um, in April of 2022, I attended a woman's retreat. And one evening while we were there, they lit a beautiful bonfire. And the assignment for each lady in attendance was to ask the Lord for one thing, that he wanted them to discard with a determination not to pick it back up. Thankfully, the exercise began with the young woman to my left, which meant I would be last. I was not sad about it. I knew I'd have time to carefully consider what I should release, because I'm super literal, y'all. If you tell me something, that's it. There's not a... There's no shades. It's either this or it's this. Ask my friends and my family. It drives them crazy. So sorry. Okay. So I knew I'd have time to carefully consider what I should release, and I asked the Lord, what would you like for me to lay down? In total transparency, because I'm going to be transparent anyway, what you see is what you get. I'm not going to apologize. It is what it is. So sorry. Not, not apologizing. Anyways. So in total transparency, I felt like I'd already been pretty well stripped of everything. And frankly, I was at a loss at what else there could possibly be. It's a little bit arrogant, but I'm just saying. Now, I don't know about you, but my conversations with God sound just exactly like I talk to you. So my questions sound a little bit like a whine, a little bit complainy, because I was whining. And I listened. I didn't listen to anyone else at that bonfire. I needed to hear from him. And you know what he said? <laughs> he said, comparison. I want you to throw down comparison. So in preparation for today, I'm reminded of that night around the fire. And I'm also reminded not to pick up that word. So while I sit or I stand and y'all sit, I'm standing among a sea of amazing speakers and leaders and teachers, and I admire and adore each of you. And in saying that, I'm not you, and that's okay. <laughs> he only made one of us, so look at your prints and know that your prints are ideally you. You're not to be anyone else but you. How cool. It'd be kind of boring if everybody was like me anyways. Or maybe not. It would be a big old party. <laughs> anyways, so Father, I thank you for today. What an awesome privilege it is for each of us to do what you have entrusted us to do. What an honor to be given opportunities to steward your purpose, Lord, to have a place of influence in the lives of those whom you bring to our table. 
I pray that you alone, Lord God, receive all the glory and your kingdom is revealed to each one of us today. Father, quicken our hearts to the gravity that eternity awaits and the reality that this life here on earth is just a vapor. I pray that each of us grasp the sense of urgency to choose you. We give you the glory for the great and the wonderful things that you have done. And I thank you, Abba, for the opportunity to impact someone's future and their eternal destination. Use me, God, for I am yours. Amen. I read a passage of scripture yesterday, and I was so excited <laughs> because I know I've read it before. I, I read Psalms all the time. I love Psalm. Psalm 6110 in the Passion Translation says, oh, and when I read this scripture, I heard Ellen Kuhn. So all my Ellen Kuhn lovers hear her say, Psalm 6110, I am your only God, the living God. Wasn't I the one who broke the strongholds over you and raised you up out of bondage? Open your mouth with a mighty decree. I will fulfill it now, you'll see. <laughs> the words that you speak, so shall it be. <laughs> I was like, yes, this is so cool. I love the word. <laughs> the word of the Lord that I will declare to you today, I pray, is one of hope. Lamentations 3, 21 and 23 says, yet I still dare to hope. That's been a thread of today's service, hope. Thankfully, I still dare to hope when I remember this, that the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every single morning. Great is your faithfulness. The faithfulness of God, you guys, is not contingent on our feelings. It's not contingent upon our circumstances. His faithfulness will not diminish while I'm trying to wrap my head around current events. Verse 23 reminds us that when we waken each morning, a measure of God's mercy and his grace is there to greet us with a sweet hello. <laughs> It's exciting to wake up. <laughs> some valuable lessons in life are gained with ease, with ease and some others not so much. I was taught the hard way the value of breath. <laughs> and never again will I take a simple inhale or exhale for granted. Let us thank him all for such a precious gift that we, most of us don't even give much thought to. It's just rote. It's what we do. I'd like to share a story with you, and I'll start by introducing you to several key players. I know that there's slides, but I don't really know how that magic works. It works with John. What a He's so good, y'all. So you need to know key players. So when you look up, this is my husband, Jeffro. His name is Jeffrey, but I called him Jeffro because that's how I roll. And that was us at Father's Day. That's my son and his wife, Chelsea, and that's me and Jeff Rowe. We were at a, a banquet or something to honor uh, those who were serving. That is me and Jeff Rowe again. He is so cute, OMG. Um, that's my husband, y'all. There he is again. That's me and Jeff Rowe. And then Kristen, my middle child. There's Kristen. 
There's Lauren, my oldest daughter, and myself and Kristen. Smiles are good. Here we are with my girls. This is my niece, Kaylee, Lauren and Kristen, and then two of my babies, Ellie and Lainey, who are here with us today, right there, little sweet peas. And these are my other babies. This is my baby son, except he's a man. His name is Matthew, and that's Chelsea. And then Emma Grace, she's my 11-year-old. And there's, the with the muscles, that's Jet James. Is he not awesome? <laughs> and then baby Zane, OMG, just want to just, just kiss him all over. They're just, those are my babies. These are my people. There's my mama. You can see my little oxygen tank. There's our Jakey. <laughs> He's also with Jesus. I believe that dogs go to heaven, okay? <laughs> and there's my babies. And my, there's my mama up in the upper right corner. These are my people, y'all. My brothers, Warren and Bracey. These are my cousins right here. This is at Jeffrey's service. This is us with all of our G-babies. We had 11. So that's, our, that's my people, y'all. So I wanted you to see them because I'm very visual, so I thought that you might be visual like me. Um, Y'all try really, really hard. Hold back your disappointment. I'm not going to start with my birth because that's so many decades to cover in 45 minutes. So instead, we'll just zoom past the first five. We can get back to that later. It's fine. Unless you're okay with me starting at the beginning, I can do that. Anybody? Any takers? (laughs) Okay. I'm looking at the clock. Oh, Lordy Jesus. Okay. So I had my very first conversation with my Jeffro on Father's Day of 2014. And we had our first date the next evening because we weren't going to have a good date if he didn't have a good voice. (laughs) That was important. Okay. So the night, uh, okay, so we had our first date the next evening, which was after Father's Day on the, the, in 2014. And six months later, uh, December 12th, he proposed in downtown Tulsa on a horse-drawn carriage with all of my children present. (laughs) I just thought we were going downtown to ice skate and see the Christmas lights. And that was not the case. We married March the 28th of 2015. Uh, Jeffrey was in the oil and gas industry. And six weeks before we got married, his company sent him to work out in the field. And I was like, what is it that you do again? I might need to rethink this. Because I was hoping you were going to be here in Tulsa with my babies. But no. So... He was a materials manager, and he was responsible for having every item on site for the gazillion-dollar oiling natural gas pipeline projects. So in seven years, we lived south of Chicago in Maryville, Indiana. We lived in Marietta, Ohio, which, by the way, was one of my favorite places, cool town. We lived in an apartment in Tulsa. We lived in our RV in Monahans, Texas. Don't recommend that you visit there. Whoa. Uh, Hope nobody's listening from Monahans. Uh, so then, we, so we lived there. We built a home in Broken Arrow. We RV'd in Carrizo Springs, another place like that. We lived in Lake Amistad. We went back to Broken Arrow, and then our final destination together was Seabrook, Texas, which is outside of Galveston. In early December 2020, the Lord told me in a dream that in 2021 we would experience a 180 degree pivot. For some odd reason. That didn't throw me for a loop. Not sure why. <laughs> uh, on December the 13th of that same year, my husband called me from Carrizo Springs to let me know, hey, baby, I, I was just laid off. And I'm um, packing up the RV to drive back to Broken Arrow. I was deliriously ex- excited. 
Neither of us were upset. We both felt it was imminent due, the, to, due to the pipeline being shut down with our current administration. Uh, he had been working six-day work weeks, 60 to 72 hours a week for years, and frankly, he was exhausted. And so was I. <laughs> Jeffro said on repeat how tired he was, and he just wanted to be home. So there he was. Um, in uh, early January 2021, I began to wonder about the dream that the Lord had given me, and I was beginning to question, what is this pivot going to look like, God? <laughs> I need some clarity. And I started asking the Lord, is there going to be a car wreck? Um, specifically an 18-wheeler. <laughs> I mentioned I'm not a fan of blood, Lord, and I really don't want to suffer a myriad of broken bones, and neither do I want a compound fracture. I'm sure all of you talk to Jesus like this. When he tells you something, then you start telling him how it should be, okay? I'm just saying I'm that girl. So uh, I, w I wasn't bargaining with God. Maybe I was. I just wanted to remind him of the things that made me shudder because I was certain that he'd forgotten. So the week before Christmas, I go back and forth. Jeffrey bought a 500-piece Christmas puzzle, and he worked to have it completed. I did not help him because I think puzzles are merp, <laughs> unless they're the 10 puzzle pieces. I like those, those big honk, those, that's wonderful. But you want to throw a 500-piece puzzle? On the, I'm like, are you kidding me? No. So I didn't help him, and it was okay with him because he knows my patience level was just not there. Um, he finished this puzzle, y'all, with no help from me, and there was one piece missing. It was a brand new puzzle. One piece missing. And I'm pretty sure it was that one right there that took it. Yeah, it was her. I know it was you. I know it was you. <laughs> I found that missing piece at the end of January while I was vacuuming the front bedroom. And yes, it, had been, it hadn't been since December that I vacuumed the front. Well, I don't know. Maybe it was. I don't know. <laughs> So as I leaned, I, I saw that piece. It was tucked snugly um, up, you know, on, the, on top of the baseboard behind the bedroom door. I mean, it was just so, so perfectly hidden, Lainey. <laughs> as I leaned down to pick up that piece, I heard the Lord say, you are wanting me to give you a complete picture of the events that are about to unfold, and I'm telling you, you cannot handle the picture. And he was correct. <laughs> Which, by the way, he never shows us the full picture because he knows we'd bail on what he hadn't planned. What he did instead was teach me through reading his word scriptures that I needed to hide in my heart for what was to come. 2021 was the first year for me to read the Bible through to completion. My mother and I followed an identical plan together, and we often discussed what we learned that day. And I've looked back over my notes and I am astounded to see how he was guiding me and providing a blueprint for what I was going to walk through. Just is astounding to me how he works. He was teaching me how paramount it is to fully trust in him, regardless of my thoughts, my feelings, my emotions. I'm a huge, huge filler, like overkill filler. <laughs> H-E-B freaks me out, okay, because there's so much people in there, and I'm like, oh, dear God, I can just feel all their stuff. I'm like, this is crazy. That's why I hate to shop. Anyways, BTW, feelings are liars. <laughs> they don't accurately represent reality. You might want to write that one down. I, I wrote it down, and I'm going to put it on my fridge. Feelings can be liars, and they don't always depict reality. Early that spring, we took a couple of road trips to Seabrook to visit my mama and my stepdad, Bud. 
by the first of June, Jeffrey was saying, I want to move to Seabrook. And I was like, what? You, you want to what? You, you want to move to Seabrook? He had mentioned, y'all, that he wanted to move to Oklahoma City, and I was like, no. That's so not going to happen. No. I didn't say it out loud, though. I just said it inside because uh, I didn't want to move there. But uh, so anyways, so especially after him saying I want to move to Oklahoma City, I thought, no way, Jose. <laughs> we both had adult children and 11 grandchildren between the two of us. And after much discussion, he convinced me that we maybe we'll just carry on just like we always did. Well, I've been on the road this whole time, and we'll just go back and forth and see the kids. And I'm like, okay, this is good. Okay, this will work. But the whole part about the house thing, that freaked me out. I was not in favor of that. I had to pray a lot. And then I had to pray some more, and then I had to pray some more because he was so gung-ho about, yeah, let's do this. And I was like, ooh. I never had a home. This was my first home. And so it was like, you want me to leave out? Okay, whatever. So we had, a, we had the conversation several times, uh, lots of times, and I prayed. As I said, you just, you know, do your thing, and I'm just going to pray and ask the Lord about this. Um, he, was, he was pointing out all the pros. You know, Houston's the oil capital of the world, baby. I won't have any problem getting a job. His idea was to sell our home and get out of debt. He, he, because he traveled, he did very well. And, um, and when you do well, you're just like, oh, yes, of course I should buy that $900 grill. Of course. You don't even give a thought because you're just fine. It's like whatever. So his idea was, babe, let's, we'll get out of debt. We'll sell our house. We'll make money because everybody was selling their houses and making stupid amounts of money. You know, so that was his plan. We'll get out of debt. And then I won't be so pressured to get a, you know, deep into the six figures job. I can just get whatever, and we'll be fine. I was like, at this point, I will live on a tent at Galveston with you. As long as we're together, I'm great, whatever, it's fine. And we can go back and forth and see the babies. So uh, that's exactly, that was the conversation that we had, as well as him saying at least three times that I can remember, he's like, baby, uh, Bud, my stepdad, he's not going to make it till his 87th birthday. We have to be there to help your mom. We have to be there to help her take care of Bud. And I was like, okay, so peace, you know, settled, and he was so, so excited, and I mean, uh, coincidentally, I had a a really sweet friend who was a realtor, so I called her up, and I was like, hey, how do we do this? So she sent me all the prep work on how we prep our house to sell, and Jeffrey, who could fix anything, (laughs) had our three-year-old home ready to present in a manner that far exceeded the day that we first moved into the home. Uh, he, he even fixed all the things that the builder left undone. I know that y'all have never had a builder leave anything undone when you moved into a house. Um, so uh, one, one, uh, once the realtors set up to show our home online, we had multiple showings uh, to, to schedule immediately. And I was like, y'all need to just calm it down. Uh, within 24 hours, we res- uh, so she sets up the, the showings, and I think it was just during that week, and within 24 hours, uh, eight people had looked at the home, and we had seven offers. <laughs> that was shocking, because I was expecting it to take a little bit longer. But, you know, Jeff was like, oh, we have favor. And I'm like, don't, don't use my words on me, Sarah. <laughs> I know what you're doing. You're using my words on me. Yeah, smarty pants. So the packing, I, I was packing. He was purging. Matter of fact, he didn't even let me know what he was getting rid of, y'all. I accidentally went with him to the dump one day. And he's like, don't look in the back of the truck. And I'm like, don't tell me not to do something because you know I'm going to do that. Y'all, 
I had been, I had built an, an I, no, I had, I had purchased an antique table at an antique store, and I took this class on how to uh, chalk paint it. I mean, I was so excited and so proud. It was beautiful. He had that in the top of, he had it in the back of his truck. He took it to the dump. I couldn't say, I was appalled. I was, what? Mm. I didn't say anything. I didn't get mad. I just like shook my head. He knows when you shake your head, that's not a good thing. I shook my head. Anyways, so he purged and I packed. We had three weeks to closing. So Jeffro worked like a crazy person getting everything done. And the night before uh, we were set to closing, we had the truck. The girls were there to help. I don't remember too much of that. I know that Ellie stayed with me. And we worked till like 2 or 3 in the morning. And then she and I finally just laid down on the bedroom floor. No pillow, no blanket, nothing. We're just, we're just going to close our eyes for one second. And about three hours later, I think I woke up. Uh, he never stopped. So we drove straight at 8.30 to the title company, got all the things closed. Uh, our realtor, Jerry, gave, me a, gave us a gift, me. And it was a wooden plaque, and it matched our home decor, and it says, the best is yet to be. And I read, I was like, hmm, I don't really know how that's going to work out, because <laughs> uh, I was, you know, having a hard time. So anyways, we spent our last night in Tulsa with the girls. We hit the road the next morning, and as we crossed the Texas border from Oklahoma into Texas, I get a phone call from Jeffrey, because he's driving the truck, and I'm driving my car. He goes, this is our time, baby. It's going to be such a good move for us. I'm so excited. He was like a child. He was so excited. Who knew that both of our lives were about to flip upside down in less than two weeks? We left, we'd left our uh, Toyota Tacoma and Jeffro's Dodge Ram behind, so I quickly arranged flights for us to fly back the next weekend, which was Labor Day, to pick up our trucks. And it was just happenstance. Oh, don't do this. <laughs> it was happenstance that it was uh, Labor Day. Um, uh, so we, we flew on Labor Day and uh, came back on Monday the 6th. And three days later, I started, I mean, actually, I started feeling not really good right away. Uh, by the third day of our return, I was feeling really bad. Uh, but I had, I've had so many sinus and bronchial infections over my lifetime that I thought, well, that's what this is. I didn't run fever. I just felt progressively worse each day. By the way, with that move, I think I only unpacked three boxes. <laughs> I didn't, I was not very much help. Um, so anyways, my Jeffrey scheduled uh, for me to see a doctor because we didn't have a doctor there. And I was scheduled to see a physician on the 13th. So the 12th, I was uh, not re feeling really good at all. As a matter of fact, it was Ellie's birthday and I don't even remember that it was her birthday. And the 13th was my mother's and I didn't know it was hers either. Um, we were supposed to go on the, uh, the, the 13th, but a hurricane <laughs> blew in. It was a small one. It wasn't a big deal. Uh, but it did flood a lot of places, and so the clinic that I was going to flooded. So I was pushed back another day. Um, so I went the following day, which was the 14th, and I walked into, or Jeffrey took me to uh, the urgent care, and as soon as I walked in, there was nobody there. A nurse stood in the doorway, and she said, there's, um, there's nothing I can do for you. You, you need to go. And I was like, what? She, she wouldn't even come near me. So I don't know if I looked green or I have no idea. I have no idea. I just know that, you know, she said, take her to the hospital. And so that's what he did. And I don't even remember if we even had conversation in the car. I don't know. Um, but 
was, it was so weird. So we went to Methodist Hospital in Clear Lake, and we walked into the emergency room entrance, and Jeffrey went to the front desk with my purse, and I was taken to an exam room for triage. Um, I was admitted with a pulse ox of <laughs> 78, which meant nothing to me, but I la later learned that that wasn't good. Um, I remember calling him from my phone because I took my phone with me to triage, and I said, baby, would you please bring me some water because nobody had, nobody, I'd not seen anybody. So he did, he did have them bring, <laughs> bring me water, and I, I, I laid flat in that darkened room, and nobody came for, it seemed sa several hours, I have no idea, but when a doctor did finally come, uh, they did their swabby thing and uh, diagnosed me with COVID. And uh, they would not let my husband back in to see me. As a matter of fact, I didn't hug him, nor did I ever hug him again. Um, and I didn't see him until September the 26th. Uh, I do believe that they monitored me for days, and I obviously progressively declined, just so you know. Our physician back in Oklahoma has all of our hospital records, and when he printed my report, it was over a ream of paper, and my summary was 40 pages. So if you're in the medical field, that will mean something to you. It really didn't mean that much to me, except I did ask him, was it bad? And he goes, oh, it was all the way bad. And I was like, oh. Okay, so every morning around 5 a.m., I didn't sleep much in a hospital. I don't know if anybody been in a hospital, but you don't sleep. It's not a, it's not a sleeping place. So uh, he, this, this darling man, would, young man would come in, and he'd take my photos of my lungs, and he was actually one of the very few cheery ones because I could feel the weight of the strain of each staff member that was there at the hospital. My speech was uh, greatly impacted by my lack of breath, but I still made efforts to communicate. Imagine that. It's interesting to recall how everyone kept their distance as best they could until I got to ICU. Um, somewhere along the, the way, my inner prayer warrior returned. I mean, I had some days of really not good. You'd have to ask my, my daughters because I don't really have a tremendous amount of memory about myself. I wasn't focused on me ever. Um, I, I do know that I came to a point bef uh, as I was in that first uh, hospital room, I reached out to Raleen and uh, after realizing that, hey, we might be in some trouble. Uh, and I said, listen, you need to, I, I need you to start a prayer chain. I actually have no idea what I said, um, but I, I know that you know a lot of people. Please get them to pray because we're in trouble. Um, and, she, and I said, you know, I needed people that were really going to pray, not those, oh, yes, I'll pray for you. And then they don't. Not saying any judgment because I've been that person. So now when somebody asks me to pray, I'm going to pray right then and there. So don't ask me to pray unless you want me to pray because I'm praying right now. And then probably a whole lot later on. Anyways, so um, my inner prayer warrior kicked in. And uh, what was so bizarre was me praying with everyone. I prayed with nurses. I prayed with respiratory therapists. I prayed for doctors. I didn't care. I prayed for uh, surgeons, I prayed for maintenance, I prayed for the people that brought me my food. And now, you don't know this, but I could barely talk. I had, I was 100% oxygen dependent, I didn't know that was a, a bad thing. Thankfully, my schooling, uh, you know, when you're in school and you, and you make a an, 100 on a test, you're like, <laughs> yeah, I am so good. If you make an 80, you're like, ooh. 75, you're like, oh, dear God, I'm going to get in trouble. Okay? So I was never alarmed at being told I was at 100%. Okay? <laughs> yeah. It worked for me. 
because I wasn't aware of how bad. I was like, okay, we're at 100. Yes, I am an overachiever with this. <laughs> Typical. I was. I sure was. So I just prayed for everybody because that was like a little holiday for me until I found out that they um, were bringing Jeffrey. So this is where our stories begin to intersect. Seven days after my um, husband brought me in, my mother brought Jeffrey to ER. I didn't know until months later that he was admitted with a pulse ox of 58. Um, our physician in Oklahoma told me that he didn't have a single patient that survived that went to the hospital below 80. He said, if you have a pulse ox and it's below 90, take your hiney to the hospital. Who knew? So, I didn't know that he'd been hallucinating and had probably lost conscious for periods of time. Um, I had talked to him on the phone and he seemed fine. I knew he was coughing, but he was taking medicine. Um, so my mother, my little, our little tiny mama supernaturally managed to get my 240-pound husband into her car through the doors of the emergency room, and we were both diagnosed with the Delta variant of COVID. That was the strain that nobody wanted to have. Uh, meanwhile, I had leveled up from oxygen via a cannula, which is the, the, the cute little thing that lays across your nose, and it's really not cute, it's horrible, and it was big and heavy and ugh, drove me crazy. But they, they elevated me from uh, uh, cannula to CPAP machine, and then they tried to put me on the BiPAP machine, which was a nightmare. Basically, that was a six-hour torture scenario due to significant childhood trauma, uh, from a childhood game of smother that my dad liked to play. This was a game that was designed to train me to be quiet. I was a very good student. The enemy worked relentlessly through my life to muzzle me. After a stern conversation with the chief of infectious disease department, y'all, she was scary. Everybody in that hospital was terrified of her. Terrified. I was like, she's baddie. Ooh, she's scary <laughs> So she came into my room, and she was mad because they had put that BiPAP machine on me for hours, and I was, I, I, I was outside of my head. And I, I was like, mm, we can't do this. I, I mean, I'd screamed myself to nothing. I wasn't able. And so she came in, and she was really angry. And up until that point, y'all, I guess because we were so sick, nobody would come in to the room. They would just, like, stand at the doorway, you know. And if they did come around me, they looked like they were dressed for space. That was the most frightening. It was crazy. I was like, you, listen, if you're not trying to be scary, you're epic fail because I'm terrified. And I was like, and if you're that scared, you don't need to work here. Seriously, I said that. She didn't come back to my room. I was so happy. That, that, one, the girl, that one girl, she was mm, crazy scared. So anywho, so uh, after a stern conversation with, with the doctors, the Tikian, uh, I gave her a clear understanding of my background, and once she realized where I was, she was extremely apologetic. As a matter of fact, she cried. And she decided then that they would, she goes, we've got to move her to ICU because we have to monitor her 24-7. Um, and so they put me right outside the nurse's station like I was going to do anything. Uh, one of the other physicians, Dr. Akers, and Jeffrey and I shared the same doctor. So we had Dr. Zatikian, Dr. Akers, and Dr. Ortiz. These guys were the three um, COVID 
uh, ICU doctors, and they were exhausted. Um, I, I, I talked with them just like I talked to you, you know, that I, I, didn't, I didn't care anything about who, what, I didn't care about the diplomas on their wall. They were just a person who was supposedly helping me to get better. And, um, so, and I prayed for them too. And, and when I remember uh, one time, uh, Dr. Ortiz came in and he just looked so weary. And I, and I asked him, I said, because uh, I, I, I had a picture, I said, this, this whole COVID nonsense it's like um, you're playing um, whack-a-mole. And he said, yes. And he said, no patient presented the same, but they were given a set of instructions to treat everyone the same. And he goes, and it was impossible. He said, it's like every day. I, I said, I see you. You come in like a, you're training for the military, and I could see the rope course, and they're all belly crawling. Every single time they walked in the door, they're belly crawling, trying to figure out how are we going to dodge this landmine today. It was exhausting, which is probably, I know it's not probably, this is why so many in that industry have left the industry, because they were leveled, just leveled. Um, so anyways, um, and I got to pray with them all the time. It was so cool. Um, Dr. Akers uh, had came in, very serious conversation. He says, listen, I need you to know that you're in the fight of your life. And I need you to mentally focus like never before. And I was like, I hate golf. <laughs> and he's like, I go, no, it's, it's, it's too much for my brain. You have to focus on the task of launching that teeny weeny tiny ball. Then you have to go at a million miles. And then it has to go in that little weeny, that like, too much. I hate golf. Dr. Aker says, yes, just like golf. I'm going to need you to put your mental game on. Ain't that right? <laughs> this will be why I don't play golf. <laughs> it's too mental. <laughs> it's too much effort. I don't care. I'll drive the cart. Anyways, I divert. Uh, Dr. Aker said, yes, just like golf. I need you to concentrate with strong, strong determination. I need you to concentrate like you've never concentrated before. And I was like, Okay. So I knew then that my focus and interceding didn't necessarily need to be for me. I switched it to Jeffro. I never was concerned about me. I thought, well, gee, I must be sick, but I still was never connecting the dots because, you know, I like 100. It's good. Um, that day, that at the same day that I had the conversation with Dr. Akers, uh, they moved me to ICU. My children, I didn't know this either, were told that the x-rays showed that my lungs were a mass of solid rocks, and the best way uh, for them to monitor was to move me over to the nurse's station. I was at 100% oxygen, and the next step was to put me on a ventilator. I also found out from the girls that they had suggested that they contact funeral home that I was not going to make it. <laughs> that silly devil, he's such a liar. So I need to tell you a little bit how the Lord was orchestrating. This staff worked 12-hour shifts. Most of them worked five days on, five days off. And I was there for almost three weeks, so I knew I had each of them at least three times. And my first nights, first five nights that I was there, I had the most precious nurse, y'all. She came in at 7 p.m. that first night, and I noticed that she was very reserved. She was very solemn. And since I'd already told you that a lot of them didn't want to be in close proximity to me, it was obvious that she was different because she did come close to me. A few hours into her first shift as she was about to leave my room, I said, hey, I think her name was Marissa, I don't remember. I asked her, can I pray for you? And she whispered yes. 
and she stood in the doorway. She never came back in, so I know she was scared. <laughs> I said, I have no idea what I prayed, but she wept silently, and she left my room. And when she came back hours later, because they worked 12-hour shifts, um, she let me know that her 27-year-old husband had died from a massive heart attack in her arms at their home five days prior to her being in my room. She returned quickly because she needed to keep her mind busy. So I prayed for her each day, and we just loved each other. And every time I moved, I think they moved me five or six times, she found me every time she was on shift. And even when she wasn't on shift, she came up to the hospital to see me. So while I was in ICU, I woke up and I saw the Lord leaned over me. Now, just so you know, <laughs> there was a lot of God encounters, but I could not write them all down because we would be here until next week. And that's, we'll, we'll, we do that later. So there was a lot of God encounters, but one of them I wanted to share with you was I, I, I didn't sleep, but I remember I had slept, I must have slept some, and I woke up, and, and the Lord <laughs> was over me. I mean, y'all, he was huge. Like, imagine Beauty and the Beast, how big he was to little tiny Beauty. Anyways, and his hands were ginormous. Um, I never saw his face like I see you fa your, your face. He, his face was like a lion. I love that, the line of Judah. But anyways, his face was like a lion. Anyways, and he was very, very gentle. His hands were huge. And so what he was doing was he was peeling off pieces off of me. And I was like, what, what, what are we doing here? And I, then I remember, I, I instantly had the picture of uh, Humpty Dumpty. And I remember reading that book. I think it was five years old when I read it for the first time because I started reading very young. Uh, I remember reading that book, and through my life, I would say, but who's going to put my pieces back together again? I was wondering about that. And he was taking pieces off, and he pulled a big piece, and he held it over his head, and he busted the piece, and he went, <laughs> and the piece just shattered. And I was like, well, what was that? And he said, that was fear. And I was like, okay, we're doing some things here. And he did that over and over and over, peeling off all the nonsense. And then he started doing this to me. And I said, well, what are you doing now? <laughs> and he says, I'm removing all the muzzles that were put on you. And he pulled and pulled and pulled until he got to the teeny tiniest one. So I had been muzzled from the time I was in my mother's womb. The enemy did not want me to speak, ever. my favorite word for him I have asked God by the way when we get down to the wire here and you're ready to pull the plug could you please allow me to put my hand on yours when we push the button he laughed he didn't say no this is good um, one of the other things that um, happened while I was there was I dreamt for five nights in a row and this is key um, Jeffrey was laying in the bottom of a boat that Jesus was standing in. <laughs> and Jesus was at, at the head, and he had one oar, and he was taking him around on a river. And I could see this. I, I said the exact same dream for five nights in a row. And uh, I could see Jeffrey, and he's laying there. And, he, you know, of course, he's you know, not moving his arms or his head, but he's looking in his little tiny brown eyes. And he's looking, and I could see he was, you know, like, oh, my gosh. You know, like, I, could, I knew him so well that I could see what he was 
feeling and thinking as he was seeing what the Lord was showing him on that lazy river in the canoe. I'm like, you're getting to see heaven? I wasn't sure, but I knew that he was good, and the mornings the doctors would come in, they would come in with a bad report, and I didn't pay attention to it. I was like, nope, because any time they tried to tell me bad stuff about him, I was like, he is in the hands of the Lord. He is good. Jesus has him. I trust Jesus. I don't care what you say. He's fine. They never swayed me. Um, I also had an encounter with God when I handed over possession of my sweet husband. I knew that. I was like, Father, if I have loved him more than I loved you, which probably I had because I was so, I just loved him so much. I repented and I said, Father, I'm sorry. And I, I give him to you. He's your son. He's not mine. And I trust you with him. So that was, I knew that was a profound, profound moment. Um, I will never forget the day um, with the oxygen with me in ICU. So the Lord had showed me words uh, throughout my whole time. He showed me at this time, he showed me the word sudden, and then he showed me the word turnaround. And I was like, okay. I saw my God, Jeffrey's going to get a sudden turnaround. (laughs) And then it was shortly thereafter, uh, Dr. Ortiz comes in and he goes, Kimberly, your oxygen is at 80. And I was like, oh, okay. And then he comes running back in, and he's, it's at 75. And he was excited, and I was starting to freak out. And then he comes back, it's 70. And I was like, oh, question. <laughs> I need to know about this. So he explained to me that we needed it to go down and not go up. And I was like, oh, okay. I'm glad I didn't know. Okay, I wasn't even worried about that. Yes. So once that they saw my levels were dropping, I knew that they knew I had rounded a corner and I was going to survive. And um, so after 24 hours of moving me out of ICU, they moved Jeffrey in to the very same bed that I'd been in bed two. So he was, he was where I was because, you know, we're, we're, we're like that. We, we just go big or go home. We like to do everything together. So there we go. Um, so I continued interceding like, not, like crazy, 12 uh, days after being admitted, my nurse uh, moved. I don't even know what she had to do to get me from my room to his. She took me to see him in ICU, you know, wheelchair, oxygen, all the things. It It was craziness, but we hadn't seen each other, and it was so exciting. I mean, we're thrilled to see one another in ICU. And I was allowed to stay for 20 minutes because that was the limit of my capacity to sit up. Um, So they, they, um, you know, they they allowed us to see one another, was so excited. Um, I'm trying to think, what do we, I don't even know what we said. Uh, He did say to me, uh, which was so profound, he said, baby, our lives will never be the same as a result of this experience. And I was like, no, we'll be forever changed. You know, I, I knew, and he was, it was so profound what he said. Um, I didn't. Uh, w- I didn't sleep a lot. One night, I, I I didn't sleep at all. I prayed all night long, and I got a text from him the next morning, and he goes, "Baby, I didn't sleep all night." And I was like, "Huh, funny, me neither." And he says, "I prayed and I prayed and I prayed," and I said, "Me too. Tell me." <laughs> and he said, uh, "When we get out of here, I'm going to give my whole heart to God again." He'd gotten hurt in that church that we were involved in, and he was done. Um, and that's because he took his eyes off of Jesus. He didn't realize that hurting people cause pain and hurt. They're not, we're not humans, y'all. We're, 
We're, I mean, we are humans. We're not, we're not Jesus, so people are going to hurt us. And so we had conversation about, you know, because he says one thing and I say 6,000 things. I, you know, we finally got it back down to, okay, so did you feel peace when, you, when the Lord was speaking to you? And he said, yes. And I said, wait a second. You're not going to wait till you get home to give your whole heart to God. You're going to do it right now. And he said, hold the phone. I'll be there. <laughs> so I was like, you've got to get me to him again. Uh, and it took five hours because he had an incident where his lung collapsed and they had to go in and they, you know, had to do all the things. Uh, and so finally they got me to him. And so uh, one of the time, one of the things he would always, always ask me about, he goes, baby, you speak in tongues? And I go, yeah. Can you do it for me? Will you speak for me out loud? And I was like, no. It's a private language, punk. It's between me and Jesus, not for you. He's like, oh, come on, just show me. And I was like, no, you weirdo. So when I'm in his room, I go, they will me to him and all, you know, I can't get out of my chair, you know, whatever, I can't, and so I just like hold his fingers and I, you know, I prayed and he's on the BiPAP machine and he can't take, if he takes the mask off, then all the alarm bells go off and six million people come and it's just, doof. I said, don't take your mask off, it's fine. Just, you know, pray inside your head, you know, nod your head, whatever you got to do. So I led him through the sinner's prayer and, you know, in Jesus' name, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray for you. And I go, okay, so I pray, and he's, he's squeezing, and then, of course, I accidentally spoke in tongues, and he heard me. I was like, oh, nice. And then afterwards, he's like this. He was so excited. I'm like, you're such a dork. So anyway, so we, we got that taken care of. Everything was good. Uh, <laughs> as quickly as I experienced the, the, the turnaround, he declined. His kidneys uh, wouldn't work. They put him on dialysis. They would not work without dialysis. Uh, they found blood clots in his legs. I didn't have any. Um, he had to have three surgeries right there in that room. And two of those surgeries, the Lord gave me the divine wisdom and told the surgeon where to go in and find the bleed. Father had told me one t at one time, he says, I have given you divine favor in this hospital. And I was like, okay. They didn't allow visitors um, for COVID patients, they did not. And I said, listen, I need you. I need you to do something for me. I need you to allow my children, his children, to come in and see him because he needs to see his family. I'm not with him. He needs that. Can we make an allowance for this? Because I know it's not allowed. And he said, I will make that happen. And I said, okay. I already know that your visiting hours are from, you know, 9 to 7. For five minutes, you get five minutes per hour. Can we open that up and not have a time frame on that? Can we do that? And they, and, 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 and they can come in like his daughter and his son could come in at the same time, not just one at a time, but they can come because they're coming from Oklahoma City. And he said, yes, I will make that happen. I'm like, can I ask for one more thing? <laughs> go big or go home. Can you switch those hours from 9 until 8 o'clock in the morning till you know, 8 or 9 at night? And he goes, yes, we can make that happen too. I was like, okay, thank you. Divine favor. <laughs> and I knew he gave me divine favor when you have surgeons saying, I've got to do this surgery very fast. I don't have time to prep. I don't know where I'm going. And the Lord would give me a download, and I would know exactly where for for them to go, and I would tell them, you're going to go here, you're going to go down, and it's right there, that's how you go, you don't have to worry about the prep, you don't have to worry that he, he hemorrhaged out uh, 10 or 11 liters of blood, 
and, um, and th they were out of platelets because they'd given them all to him. I said, it's fine, just do it. He's going to be fine. Y'all, the surgeon did what I said. And in minutes, he was out in the lobby undone. And I was like, I don't know what to tell you. It's, I don't, it's, it's God. So the Lord was showing off for every person in that hospital. I had the um, nurse administrator. She was the, the administrator for the hospital. She did all the hiring. She comes and sits in my room one day when I'm talking to the nurse, and I, and, and I tell her, I'm, I'm, I'll be with you in just a minute. Have a seat, except I didn't sound like that because I sounded like Jesse Duplantis, but... Um, so she sat and waited while I finished talking to her nurse, and I noticed her nurse was freaking out because she wasn't, like, scurrying about to do whatever she needed to do, and I was like, it's fine. Andrea, her name is Andrea, the nurse, and, or the, the chief of, of the admin, and she said, I have to tell you, after I was like, I'm so sorry for making you wait. Who, who, am, who are you? I'm Andrea, and I'm the uh, hospital administrator, and I, and I do all the hiring, and I was like, oh, no wonder she was freaking out. She said, I have to tell you that this entire hospital is buzzing about you and your husband. Everybody knows your story. You have prayed for every, every single department in my hospital. You have touched and somebody, you've prayed for somebody. And I cannot tell you what kind of an impact that you being here has had on my people. And I was like, hmm. <laughs> wow, it was a big hospital, y'all. I was, I was, I didn't even know what to say. I was like, this is not me. It's just, it's just Jesus wanting to show himself alive in all of you who are here in hopeless situations, and he wanting you to know that there is hope, and he was allowing me to be that vessel. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> I remember God even uses the donkey in the Bible, and I was like, hey, I'm your girl. <laughs> <laughs> so it's just outstanding um and it's 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 awesome what god did in the spite of all the other stuff that with your natural eyes you're like god i can't wrap my head around this um the day that they released me um they couldn't re they, they couldn't release me to a rehab which was where i needed i needed to go because i couldn't walk uh, i couldn't talk <laughs> except for whatever um I mean, breathing, you have no idea what your lung capacity does for every single function in your body. If you can't breathe, you really have a hard time going to the bathroom. I mean, everything is whacked out. Okay. So I needed to go to rehab, but nobody would take me. There was no, but there was no beds available for anyone who didn't have insurance, which we did not have. That's another miracle that I forgot to tell you about. He was extremely nervous. Jeffrey was upset about how are we going to pay for this because he knows it's going to be a lot of money. We don't have insurance because he lost his job, and the company went bankrupt. Um, so what are we going to do? I said, not, not to worry. God will provide. I never worried about a dime. I was like, it's fine, whatever. And I knew because I had asked that our bill was over a million dollars at that point. Um, the, um, the, the nurse administrator, she came back in again, Andrea, and she says, I want you to know that you'll not get a bill from this hospital. There will not be a bill. Now, you might get a bill from a doctor, but I highly doubt that you will because they, they love you. So you're not, you're not going to pay a bill. And I was like, so I told Jeffrey, baby, we're not going to get a bill. And he, and he just, just tears just fell out of his eyes because he couldn't communicate with me at that point. He did assure me that he did not want to die. Um, 
the, the Dr. Ortiz came in and told me, he said, Kimberly, I have to, we have to put Jeff, Jeffro on a ventilator. By then, they're calling him Jeffro. Um, I've never, <laughs> I've never known a man, I've never had a patient in all my years of working in ICU, I've never had a patient fight so hard to stay with his wife. And, um, he said, but he won't, he's fighting us so that we need to put him on events to give his body rest, needs to rest. And y'all, he's strong as a bull. So I, I knew that that was the case. So I talked to him about it, and that's when he said, I don't want to die. And I'm like, it's fine, you're not going to die. I, I, it's fine. I have no, no peace, complete and total peace that God has got you. Um, they released me the same day that they put him on a ventilator. <laughs> Um, I saw him, and you know, that Dr. Ortiz said, you know, you've got 15 minutes to talk with your husband, to tell him anything and everything that you ever wanted to say, and I was like, we have nothing unsaid, we, nothing unsaid, there's nothing that I would have to tell him that he doesn't already know, and, and you have to understand, I never thought that he wasn't coming home, um, I was not allowed, they wouldn't let me come see him for, they said I needed to stay home for at least 10 days, uh, because my body <laughs> needed to recover, uh, and it, it actually took about five months uh, for my recovery, but anyways, uh, my mother took me up to the hospital a few times, and on October the 26th, um, we went in, and his, Jeffrey's nurse, Ashley, he looked so beautiful, y'all, oh my gosh, he was all, he was all cleaned up, she was very proud, she put in a new, a new uh, um, he, he was getting a feeding tube, so he had to it, his nose was, you know, raw or whatever, so they, she put new stuff so that he would be comfortable. And, um, and his hair was combed terribly, but it looked so, he looked so pretty. His color was good. He looked beautiful. And I remembered putting my hand through uh, the, because I couldn't get up, y'all. I was still in a wheelchair for, for a long time. But anyways, uh, I put my hand through the bars, and I touched his leg, and I was like, oh, wow, it's really small. And when I brought my husband, or when I when he came in, he was like 240, and so I asked Ashley, I said, how much does he weigh? Because I'm thinking this whole process of me recovering at home, I was paying attention to everything. I mean, the Lord would tell me, you know, if you're coughing, put pillows behind, put this. I mean, this is how God spoke to me. You know, I was drinking cold water. He said, no cold water. Drink uh, room temperature water to stop your coughing. I mean, God was helping me through this whole process. He never stopped talking to me, just like I'm talking to you. He was talking to me. Um, so anyways, uh, I asked how much he weighed, and she looked at the bed, and he weighed 150 pounds. And I was like, God, so what's the plan here? <laughs> Are you going to do this like this miracle, you know, ding, 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 and this is, is this how it's going to work? Because I'm like, how, how is this going to work? What's going to happen here? And for the very first time in weeks, he didn't say anything. And I was like, okay, this is okay. This is how this, I was like, you know, kind of like trying to sit back into that. It's, it's, it's not a coincidence. I love how the Holy Spirit works. That One of the songs that we talked about how, how that, that we sang about was how you sit back into the arms of Jesus. I'm telling you, if that's not how you roll, you don't need to leave here until you feel like you can do that because this life is not sweet. It's not kind. It's not gentle. It has its pockets. 
It does. And when you come here, oh, my word, this is sweet and kind. I'm just telling you, this life here on earth was not designed to be paradise because that's what we're going to have when we leave. And we're going to have it for eternity. If we have asked Jesus to live in our heart and asked him to be our personal Lord and Savior, if we have commi- you know, we've committed ourselves to him, then we get that promise. If we haven't do- done that, we're not going to get that. So I'm telling you, it requires action on our parts. Thank God I was able to lead my husband in that prayer so I don't have any doubt or concern about where he is today. I don't have that doubt. And I don't want to go to anybody's funeral and have that doubt because that is merp. That's, a, that's a, another word for it's not a good thing. It's better than saying something else. So anyways, it's merp, M-E-R-P. Put it in your, in your dictionary. It works. Okay. So, so once I know this is how this is going to be, Ay, ay, ay. I'm like, okay. So the next day, early, early in the morning, we get a phone call, and my mother has to get me to the hospital. We got there in 20 minutes, which was a miraculous act of God. And we were there um, when they took him off of the ventilator, and um, I got to be with him and sing over him and pray over him and see his spirit enter the presence of God. It was a most incredible, amazing thing to experience. To hand him off to Jesus was amazing. Now, it was merp, too. A whole lot of merp. <laughs> a whole lot of merp. But I'm telling you, to be able to stand here and to declare the goodness and the hope of Jesus Christ is, there's nothing else like it. The peace that comes with that, there's nothing else better than that. There's nothing else better. I just want to encourage you that no matter what, if I could leave you with one thing, keep your eyes focused solely on him. Ask the Father to give you eyes to see. Ask him to give you a vision of how he sees you. And let me assure you that once you know how deeply you are loved, fear has less influence. I heard Bill Johnson say that biblical mourning must be enhanced with hope or it will lead to unbelief. There must be something on the other side. There is. The very hope was what allowed Jesus to endure the cross. My grief won't ever have a negative impact on my soul while I maintain my hope my joyful anticipation, and my expectation of what Jesus has. Eternity, you guys, has already begun in me. Where I was never eternity-focused beforehand, I was, you know, like, oh, hey, I want the house. I mean, I still want a house, okay? But I'm not, it's like, whatever. It's not my focus. That's not it. Eternity is my focus. The cloud of witnesses who are the heroes of faith are like a cloud surrounding us. And my passionate pursuit of Jesus must continue through every single wave of emotions that life brings. The stands of heaven are watching us to see what we're going to do. So it's paramount for me and for you to finish this race well. Psalm 27, 13, 14 says, Yes, I am confident I will see the Lord's goodness while I'm here in the land of the living. (laughs) 
I will see the Lord's goodness while I am here in the land of the living, and I'm looking at you. <laughs> I will see the, <laughs> the Lord's goodness, and we're in the land of the living. That's where we are. He says, wait patiently on, for the Lord to be brave and courageous. Yes, wait patiently. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He rescues those whose spirits are crushed. The righteous person faces many troubles, but the Lord comes to rescue us each time. The footnote in my Bible conveyed the very thought process that I've had on many occasions about Psalm 34, 18 and 19. It says, we often wish that we could escape troubles, the pain of grief, loss, sorrow, failure, or even the small daily frustrations that constantly wear us down. But God promises to be close to the brokenhearted, to be our source of power, our source of courage and wisdom, helping us through our problems. Sometimes he chooses to deliver us from those problems. And when trouble strikes, don't get frustrated with God. Instead, admit that you need his help and thank him for being by your side because that's where he's at. Our lives are intended to be a living testimony of what God has done for us, and it's up to us to declare his goodness and his faithfulness. If we don't tell them, they're not going to know. If we don't tell them, they're not going to know. I don't want the Lord to say when I get there, Kim, Kimberly, really? <laughs> I introduce you to this person, you saw this person, and you, saw and you, and you, and you didn't say anything? I don't want to be that person. So now I'm the other person that says, oh, I like your shirt. You know Jesus? <laughs> oh, I, I really like those tacos. Do you know Jesus? I have to be that person because eternity is at stake. Oh, Lord, you alone are my hope. I've trusted you, oh, Lord, from childhood. All the way back, I've trusted him. <laughs> yes, you have been with me from my mother's womb and you have cared for me. No wonder I'm always praising you. My most favorite thing to do besides eat tacos is praise the Lord and worship. My life is an example to many because you have been my strength and my protection and that is why I will never stop praising you. I declare your glory all day long. Verse 15 of Psalm 71, 5 and 8 says, I will tell everyone about your righteousness all day long. I will proclaim your saving power, though I am not skilled with words. I promise you guys that God will take every shattered piece of your life, and he will bring them to a place of restoration. I'm living proof. He promises to redeem each loss. And when we trust in the Lord with all of our heart, and we don't lean our own understanding, he will direct our paths, and he will make that crooked path straight. Thank y'all for listening to my story. <laughs>